Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis chapter 3. That's what advertising is supposed to do. It's supposed to bring out in you that you think you need that extra thing, right? And now you become consumed by it. And the woman has a chance to defend God, so she says to the serpent, verse 2, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. Serpent has placed before her a chance to clarify. Is she buying in? There's an important insight here. When temptation comes, you begin to buy in uh, to the enemy's lie that you are being limited in your blessings. Your blessings are minimized or completely forgotten. She says, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, it might have been next to the tree of life. We don't know for sure. She says, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. Now, did God say you can't touch the tree? No, he didn't. Is she exaggerating? Well, maybe Adam shared with her, don't even touch it. That's possible. Or it may be that she's exaggerating the limitations that God put on her. Have you ever noticed before? You tell your son or daughter, you know, you guys are being too loud, quiet. And they start again, right? So you say, your friend needs to go home. That's it. I warned you, your friend's going home. And they burst out into the living room. Daddy said my friend can never come over again. <laughs> and then your wife comes to you, is that what you said to that child? No, I just told him that he has to go home tonight. Oh, we tend to exaggerate, right? If we even touch it, zap, boom, we're dead. I don't think so. That's not what God said. Or if somebody used the illustration, you know, you come in late for the 17th time to work and your boss calls you in the office and says, you know, you really got to watch the clock a little better. You can't be late. And you, you go out and you tell your coworkers, he said, if I'm late one more time, I'm going to be fired. You see, we can exaggerate things, can't we? And now she says, she even minimizes the penalty for disobedience. She says, we shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. God didn't say lest you die. God said, you will surely die. Sometimes when the enemy's tempting us, we overdo it on what he's he's, uh, protecting us from and we lessen the, the, the disobedience. Well, the, the, the serpent says, it's not that bad. Yeah. You won't really die. You know, bad things won't really happen to you if you if you do that. There's websites that show you how you can do it. How you can cheat on your spouse, 25 easy ways. It'll be all right, it's fine. And then we get them in our office. And it's a disaster. And the enemy comes and he's he's slippery this way. And You know, it may be that one scholar's take is that God may have held back the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not so much that it it was forever held back. This is a point of view, a perspective. But maybe it was a matter of timing. Maybe at one point in the future they would be able to partake. I don't know for sure. But God has said, I don't want you to eat of that one tree. Now in this garden, here's the temptation. Eve has not taken a bite yet. And here's the point. At any time in the temptation process that you want to stop it, you can. You don't have to give in to temptation. 
One of the graces the church used to say is, if you fall into the same sin, let's say 1,400 times, before you walk down the same street again, this is a grace of the church, this is a, this is a tactic for overcoming temptation, look to the end of the street before you start walking down it and say, you know, I've been down this street 1,400 times and it always ends the same. There's a dead end sign down there and I walk and I walk and I hit my head on it, boom, and I end up with a bruise right here. But this time I'm sure it'll be different. <laughs> what? I'm sure I won't feel as guilty and as shamed or as worthless. I, I think I'll just go ahead and walk down one more time just to see. And the church says, hello. How about you look to the end of the street before you walk down it and say, where is this going to take me if I do this? See, we have to learn to pause when, when we're tempted by our flesh or if the enemy's attacking us, we have to say to ourselves, if I do this, where is it going to lead me? What is it going to do to everything that I love? That's what maturing in your Christian walk means. You know, some moderns applaud the first couple and the serpent as the hero of the story. Since he helps the first couple throw off the chains of bondage in the garden set up by this villainous deity. They change the story or they just read into the story and some modern people say the hero of the story isn't God. The hero of the story is the serpent. He's the one that actually set them free. Oh yeah. Yeah, right. And people today, they think, oh, if I become a Christian, there's going to be so many terrible shackles on me. No, Jesus said, if you know the Son, you will be, what? You'll be free. And People think, well, you know, if I can do anything I want. No, if you do life God's way, that's when you'll be blessed. William Lane Craig says, ever since the Enlightenment, when modern man threw off the shackles of religion, he has tried to answer the questions about life and its meaning and death without reference to God. But the answers that came back were not exhilarating, but dark and terrible. Here's the answers. You are an accidental byproduct of nature. The result of matter plus time plus chance. There is no reason for your existence. All you face is death. Your life is but a spark in the infinite darkness. A spark that appears, flickers, and dies forever. How do you like that? And when modern man threw off the so-called shackles of believing and trusting in God, the answers that he got were very dark because by killing God, he killed himself. And modern man says, ah, you don't need that. You're your own God. You're fine. Peter Jones illustrates this point when he tells the story of Madame Helena Blavatsky. At the end of the 19th century, this Russian princess abandoned her roots, her Christian roots, and formed the Theosophical Society. Some of you have heard of Theosophy. In New York, which attempted to merge Western occultism with Eastern spirituality. She wrote some influential books, led a lot of people in that direction. Later in life, she was quoted, quoted as lamenting to a friend, quote, I would gladly return. I would gladly be Russian, Christian, Orthodox. I yearn for it, but there is no returning. I am in chains. I am not my own. To this sad commentary, Jones appends, the trouble with this freedom is that it is slavery to the powers of evil. Its glittering promise is the same old lie. Its wages lead to personal dissolution and death. 
but it is a real lie spoken by the father of lies. Close quote. There are women who are involved in the pornography industry right now. They go on camera and they lie before the cameras because they're manipulated to do so to say they enjoy what they do. They have to get, I heard one gal talking about this, they have to get uh, somehow intoxicated or loaded to go before the camera to lie that they enjoy being involved in pornography. It's a pack of lies. The whole world set up by it is a lie. And behind it is the father of lies. And the serpent, verse 4, said to the woman, you surely shall not die. The Hebrew construction is not. You shall surely die. Not. Nope. Now here's a direct frontal attack on God's word. God said the day you partake, you will die. Satan says, no, you won't. Here's the question. Who are you going to believe? You know, there are two roads, right? There are only really two. And when Satan literally uh, uh, tempted Jesus, Luke 4, Matthew 4, three times Jesus said, it is, what? Written. He used the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and the devil fled from him. And in that temptation, you can see how you can deal with the attacks of the enemy. You must stand on God's word and not believe the lie. And he says, no, you're not going to die. I don't care what God said. You're not going to die. Now, who are you going to believe? God's word or the world's lies? Jesus said to the religious leadership of his day, you are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. John 8, 44, Jesus said that. Paul said, I am afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. 2 Corinthians eleven three. Paul goes on to say that his ambassadors, Satan's, are deceitful workers. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Temptation is most effective when it is hidden behind a cloak of spirituality. When it is hidden behind a cloak of half-truths. You must understand this. When it looks good and sounds good. Temptation by definition is tempting. If it weren't, we wouldn't call it temptation. Amen? So, here you have now the pivotal moment. Eve is being lured closer and closer. She's doubting God's blessings. The serpent's got her focus now on his lies. And he goes one step further. He says, God knows. Now he's going to speak for God. Look at verse 5. That in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the frosting on the cake. If you eat, you'll be like God. Wait a minute. I thought they were already like God. I thought they were already made in God's image, weren't they? So why would they need to be made like God if they were already made in his image? The King James is interesting here. Genesis 3, 5 says, For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The oldest lie in the book is the lure of divinity. Do you know how many religions, world religions, 
Cults, isms, the occult, teach that you will become God. That this lie has been repeated over and over and over again. And people buy it hook, line, and sinker. Oh, if I do this, hey, doesn't it sound pretty good though? I mean, let's, there's a lure there. You can become your own God, control, power, autonomy, S on my chest. I can fly. <laughs> I mean, it is a lure, isn't it, to mankind? R. Kent Hughes says, The lure of divinity, the lie also held out of the lure of moral autonomy. She would decide what was right and wrong. How intoxicating. She would make the rules. She would do it her way. That promise still intoxicates. A funeral director told me that among the unbelieving population, Frank Sinatra's My Way is the first in first place as a funeral favorite. Another funeral director confirmed this, saying that he witnessed the very song My Way was used as the musical motif for a funeral communion. But the truth is, says Hughes, My Way is the dirge of death, marking the implosion of the autonomous self, but what deadly magnetism it carries. I did it my way. Yeah. Don't clap for that. <laughs> I'm making fun of it. <laughs> I had to practice that so many times. Get this. The very thing that made Lucifer fall, wanting to be like God or as high as God, now he puts it on our human parents. How misery loves company. Now that he's fallen, well, maybe he can get them to fall too. Have you noticed? People who are sending up a storm, they try to get you to do what they're doing because misery loves company. That's what the serpent does. James 1.14 says, Each one of us is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. These words are hunt, hunting and fishing terms. I'm not much of a fisherman, but I know something about a lure, and it's this. A lure is try to lure a fish out of a place of safety to get him to chomp on what you threw down there, and it looks good to him, so he takes the bite, and behind it, it's a hook, and that is what sin does. The enemy doesn't tell you the hook behind it. He just says, go ahead and take a bite. You'll be fine. You won't die. Now he's got the woman focused on the prize. She's got everything else at her fingertips, but now Temptation has taken her to a place where all she can focus on is the one thing she can't have and she thinks she needs. She's ignored every other blessing in the garden. That's what the enemy tries to do to you. You've got to know it. And when the woman saw, verse 6, that the tree was good for food, that it was delightful to the eyes, it looked good, and the tree was desirable, he played on her desires to make one wise. You'll be, you'll be like God. She took from its fruit and ate. Here's the plunge. He's got her so focused now that she wants it so badly he could just glide out of the way. She's focused on that one thing and she takes the bite. The Bible says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world and the world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. In the temptation you can see the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life 
That's 1 John 2.16. It's all there in the tree. It looks good. Temptation is tempting. And so she takes the bite. But what's shocking about this scene is that she gave also to her husband, would you note in your Bible, with her, Ama. there's no other way to say it, he was with her, and he ate. Now, scholars who write about Genesis say, well, maybe Adam was in another part of the garden for a while, or maybe he was kind of within earshot, but he didn't really know what's going on. Well, the plain reading of the text says, he was there, watching a ball game, no doubt, (laughs) distracted. I don't know what he was doing. But he did not step in. And one of the temptations that modern men deal with is the idea, please hear me well, men, of passivity. Being passive is something you must fight. You've been called to lead. You've been called to be the head of your family. You've been called to stand between the world and its lies and the serpent and your family and your wife. And Adam sat there and he did nothing. Nothing. And in fact, in the New Testament, Romans 5.12, and first, well, especially Romans 5.12, holds Adam responsible. The woman was quite deceived, 1 Timothy 2. Adam, she was deceived. Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. Why he took it, I don't know, because he knew the penalty, but he's held accountable. And God ultimately says it was the sin of one man, Adam, that brought death to the human race, Eve takes, she's got ownership as well in 1 Timothy 2, but Adam takes the main culpability. Why? Because he's the head of the family. The church has an order, and men are called in elder and pastor positions of the church. Men and women are equal, but there is an order. Men are to practice headship in the family. They've been given that responsibility by God. A woman is to lovingly encourage a man's headship. And a man is to lovingly love his wife as Christ loved the church. It's not about domination. It's about dying. But it is also understanding that there is an order in the church and in the household. And when we give that up, we give up God's order. These are creation ordinances. And Adam now partakes. Why he did, I don't know. But he takes. He did nothing. And the question is, why? Somehow, he let passivity get the best of him. And mankind plunged into ruin. Sad. Now, notice what they do. Then the eyes of both of them were open. Now, Satan didn't tell a full lie. He did say their eyes would be open, but he didn't give them all the details. Half Lies or half-truths are very effective. And when their eyes were open, I'm sure they couldn't have imagined that this was what Satan was talking about. They knew that they were naked. For the first time, Adam and Eve feel shame. They both feel worthless, and they try a cover-up, right? They're going to hide from God. By the way, when they try to sow the fig leaves, which is what they do next, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Who are they hiding from? It's just them two, the animals, and who? God. And apparently they are hiding from God, and that's what sin will cause you to do. Instead of running to God, we often hide from God, but when we fail, we should run to God. And so they attempt this cover-up with fig leaves, the biggest leaves in trees in Canaan is my understanding, but still, of course, they're not going to suffice. And they tried their own cover-up. And our righteousness, Isaiah 64, 6 says, is as what? 
filthy rags before the Lord. They try to cover themselves, but they can't. They still feel shame. It's, it's the attempt of man to cover his own humiliation and sin before God. I'll, I'll take care of this. And God says, no, you can't. Your best efforts won't atone for your sin. But here's the good news. God is about to come into this garden and he's going to provide a covering. And it's the early picture of the gospel. In fact, it would seem that God killed some animals and provided skins to cover them. And the Bible teaches us that the way you get saved is you become covered or cloaked in the righteousness of Christ. And on the cross, I want you to think with me as we close, Jesus is on the cross taking the fall for us. Is that a God who doesn't love you? Is that a God that's overly strict and doesn't want to bless you? Do you know that many scholars believe that he's on the cross naked? Exposed? He despised the shame, but he took the shame for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's God's love for you. And God comes and he covers us in the righteousness of Christ. And if you're covered in that righteousness, when you stand before the holy judge, you won't fall, you will stand because he will see you through the finished work of his son and you will have his righteousness. But if you try to stand in your own fig leaves, in your own covering on that day, you will fall and you will fall hard. And the decision is just very clear. Christ is the way. He shed his blood that we might be cloaked in the righteousness of God. He despised the shame of the cross but he did it because God so loves us that even in our mistakes, he's willing to cover us in his blood. Would you bow with me, Father? Thank you for this practical lesson and thank you that even in this ugly chapter, we can see hope. We see in Adam's wounded side a picture of the gospel and the the last Adam who would come who would defeat principalities and powers on the cross, triumphing over them through the cross. Thank you that you took our shame. And we will not be found naked on that day. We will not be exposed before your holy throne, but we will be cloaked, cleansed in the righteousness of Christ. Now with your head and heart bowed, if you've not met Christ and you're trying to do this on your own, you're not going to make it. You can't be religious enough and good enough. We've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. But if you will run to the Creator who died for your sin, you will believe on His death on the cross and His resurrection. You will believe that He is God who shed His blood as a man for you. You will be saved. If it's you this morning, if you've not met Him, if you don't know, God forbid, if you died tonight, where you would end up, settle it. Say, Jesus, pray it out loud. If it's you, Jesus, save me. Forgive me for doing it my way, believing the lies. I have shame and guilt. And sometimes I feel worthless. Thank you that you so love me. You came into this world to save me. You took my shame, my guilt, my judgment at the cross. Cry out to him if it's you. You may be a prodigal in here and maybe you've taken a bite of some forbidden fruit and it's hurt you. There's hope. There's forgiveness in Christ and new beginnings and we've all sinned. We all fall short. We've all made our mistakes after becoming Christians. We rest in his forgiveness, but don't keep going that way. Turn. 
come back to your first love. And Lord, for this precious congregation, may we have a little bit more insight now into what we face, why the world is the way it is, the hope of our Redeemer, Messiah, and Lord, how we can overcome our own temptations to keep from falling as much as possible. But when we fall and we make a mistake, let us quickly run to our Savior, our Lord, our intercessor, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we're covered, our life is hidden in Christ, in God, and we're, you've got us covered, Lord. Thank you so much. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Michael. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio today. Excited that you've joined us. Tell a friend about the program you're hearing here, and please keep us in prayer. We have some uh, exciting open doors for new radio stations. We have some exciting opportunities for some new time slots, and we could really use your prayer and your support. If you can give to the ongoing ministry of Living Truth Radio, we'd deeply appreciate it. It takes funds to be on the radio, and we're not a huge congregation, and we appreciate the support that we get from radio listeners. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. If you're anywhere near the Inland Empire and you don't have a home fellowship, you're not connected with a local church, we'd love to invite you to Living Truth Christian Fellowship. The radio ministry that you hear Monday through Friday on your station or on the weekend is really just a extension of the normal pulpit ministry in the life of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. And for those of you who are out of state or out of our area, we consider you family members as well. Uh, Living Truth certainly doesn't replace your local church, but we know you listen and we know you're praying for us and we appreciate it. Thank you for the support that you give to us, the encouragement, the emails that you send. We, we deeply appreciate it. And we know that even when you don't send an email, that you are still part of what's going on and part of the listening family. And we, we appreciate you and we look forward to interacting with you again. If we can be of any help to you, send us an email or a message through the website, livingtruthcorona.org. Or you can call us Monday through Friday. We're here 9 to 5 Pacific Time at 951-735-2856. God bless you. Thank you for listening and we'll catch up to you next time. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry, and we have an opportunity to expand our reach. We exist to build up believers and reach out with the gospel to others. And we need you, our listening family, to partner with us in prayer and in giving in order to do that. You can give in a couple different ways. One way is to go online to livingtruthradio.org, or you can send in your offering to Living Truth Christian Fellowship, 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.